Last week we started the series called Praying Through the Summer, and uh, a little bit of a checkup if you were here last week. We were to go home and pray for each other, that the spirit of wisdom and revelation with the knowledge of Jesus Christ would be upon everybody else. Now, I know I did that. I did that. I prayed for all of you this week numerous times, asking that to happen. So I hope all of you were praying that for each other and for me too. (laughs) Chuck Swindoll said this, When facing tough situations, nothing is more important to do than prayer. Nothing is more important to do than prayer. And I, I think that's really important. Today we're going to talk about discouragement. And no matter who you are, where you are in life, throughout your life, you've probably been discouraged. The dictionary defines discouragement as something that's faint, where you become weak and you lose courage because circumstances are just overwhelming. And... Um, Discouragement is just a plain result of our human frailty. We're not in control. And in fact, it's not really sin to be discouraged. It's a sin to stay in discouragement. But it's not a sin to be discouraged. Because we all get overwhelmed with trials, whether it be suffering or circumstances that are just a normal part of life. You know, we lose jobs, something happens, somebody dies. There's things that happen as a normal routine of life. Like none of us know what's going to happen tomorrow when we walk out of here. Things just happen. And we can look to the Bible and we can see all kinds of examples in the Bible of people that were discouraged for a number of reasons. We have David, who we're going to look at today in more detail. Nehemiah, Joshua, the people of Israel as they're wandering around in the wilderness for 40 years. You know, I think about even us as a church has been writing this and the things that are going on behind the scenes with, you know, the time it's taking, you know, the delay here and a delay here. And it's like, oh, is this ever going to get done, God? Yes, it's going to get done. But there's these things that come up that make us discouraged. Well, why do we get this discouraged? Why do we get discouraged? Well, sometimes we're just physically tired. You've been there? Sometimes on a Sunday morning. You know, it's been a busy day the day before and you're just, uh, the things that seem to hit you. Frustrated because our plans have been interrupted. You know, that's a big one. You get discouraged. You want to go away, do something. Or you're planning to do something in the house and all of a sudden your window breaks. And you can't do the same thing that you were going to do before with that money. Or sometimes we have this fear of what may happen with our kids or the work or the economy. We just get so overwhelmed because we're discouraged. You've been there? Come on. Yeah, we've all been there. Been discouraged. So turn with me over to Psalm 61 because there's some good news here. David was discouraged. And his heart was faint. Uh, the circumstances that he was going through. And he pens this Psalm 61 And I want to read it this morning as we get going. And he just says this, verse 1, all eight verses. Hear my cry, O God, listen to my prayer. From the end of the earth I call to you when my heart is faint. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I, for you have been my refuge, a strong tower against the enemy. 
Let me dwell in your tent forever. Let me take refuge under the shelter of your wings. Selah. For you, O God, have heard my vows. You have given me the heritage of those who fear your name. Prolong the life of the king. May his years endure to all generations and may he be enthroned forever before God. Appoint steadfast love and faithfulness to watch over him. So will I ever sing praises to your name as I perform my vows day after day. You know, I just, I just love David's heart here. He's in the midst of a situation where his life is at stake. He's discouraged to the point of faintedness and where he just, his heart is weary and he cries out to God. So let's be like David this morning. We're going to pause and cry out to God. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we all come together this morning in many different situations. Some of us are very excited to be here. We've had a great week. Others have got some things that are just nagging us in the back of our heads. Things that just don't seem to go away. Lord, I pray this morning as we open up Your Word and as we cry out to You, that You would encourage our hearts. That You would lift us up. And that You would change us even though our circumstances may not change. So Lord, we give You praise. And we thank You that we can do this. We ask this in Your name. Amen. So what does David do here as he's praying? So we've got five things we're going to go through fairly quickly about things that he says and does as he's praying. And the first one is just this. Uh, I cling to Jesus. Praying while discouraged means that I need to cling to Jesus. Now, we have the revelation today that Jesus Christ, uh, David didn't quite have that full understanding. He anticipated the Messiah. He understood, but not everything that you and I do today. But he still cries out to God. He turns to God when he is faint. And he cries out to Him and a cry must be heard. Right? It's not this kind of soft voice, maybe I'll get around to it. It's a desperate cry. And that cry doesn't come until you and I are faint because of what we're in. You see, God allows our situation to become desperate sometimes. Have you ever been in a situation like that? Where our situation is so desperate that we finally give up and say, okay, enough's enough. I'm down on my knees. I'm going to pray now. God's allowed that. And you might be in that season right now where things seem overwhelming, but they're just not overwhelming enough for you to cry out to God. Well, if you're in that situation, it's going to get a little bit more tense. because God want, or, or you can speed it up the process and say, okay, I give up, God. I'm going to cry out to you now. You see, some of us, and maybe you're not like this, this is just Chris, we try and figure the situation out, don't we? Yeah, we're fixers, yes, thank you. Oh, this isn't so bad. I can figure this out. I know who to talk to. I can do this. I can do that. And what do we end up doing? We become God. Instead of going to God and asking Him to solve the problem or come up with a solution, we don't turn to God. And so what does God do? God just turns up the heat a little bit. Because His whole point is that I want to be in relationship with my creation. I want to be in relationship with you. 
And so he brings us to this point where we finally get to the point where we're ready to cry out to God. And that's where we start to cling to Jesus. Amen? Not complaining about the answer, but clinging to Jesus. David understood this. Notice in the second part of verse 2, he says, From the end of the earth I call to you when my heart is faint. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. He understood that he just didn't have the answer. He needed to go somewhere. He wasn't in the right place. He needed to go to a, a better place that was in a higher place than he was. The awareness of needing to be in a higher place is incredibly important for us to cling to Jesus. And there's an awareness that we need to be led to this place. And so often we do. We just think that, oh, it's okay. I can do this on my own. But David remembers something else about God. He remembers that He is a rock. He is His refuge. He is His strength. He is His hiding place against the enemy. Christ is to be my firm foundation, the place that I run to in the midst of trouble. So why, if we know this, don't we run to Him when we get discouraged? I'm asking the question for myself. Because sometimes we don't. The reason why we do run to Christ is because all of a sudden we now know that Christ is my strength. We've come to the point where we understand like David did. You know what? I need something stronger than what I'm capable of. And that has to be Christ. What has Christ done for you? Well, He's done enormous things. Because He's my shelter. He sheltered me from all of the things that could happen to me if I'm not born again. I'm sheltered from the consequences of sin. I'm in a place where I'm safe because of His wrath and all of that stuff about sin and death and eternal life have been taken away. All of that is His strength. And He's put me in this place to be a safe place when I cling to Him. We need to start right here. Understanding that Jesus is my strength. And I'm going to cling to Him. I'm going to cry out to Him when I'm discouraged. Because I think so often when we leave this place and we're out in our daily routines, we're not thinking about running and clinging to Jesus. We're all thinking about it right now because we're here in church. We're thinking about God. We're looking at our Bibles. We're singing songs and vertical songs. But when the tough gets going and it's late at night or whatever you're doing and you're feeling discouraged or, or the kids aren't home yet or you know the bills aren't paid and somebody breaks something in the house that needs to be fixed, that's not the first thing we run to. Our inclination is to try and fix the problem ourselves. And what happens? Discouragement doesn't go away. Let's start off by doing what David did and cling to Jesus and understand that this is the only way that discouragement is going to flee. Discouragement is in our culture everywhere. There's a loss of hope and helplessness everywhere. But God, God has this thing in Jesus Christ and it's called hope for the ages. It's called eternal life. And for those who understand, get to cling to this message. And it's a wonderful, wonderful thing. So here's the first thing. I'm gonna, when I'm praying, right off the top, I'm going to cling to the strength of who Jesus is. Alright, here's the second one. I want to seek God's protection. I want you to notice 
Verse 3, he says, For you have been my refuge, a strong tower against the enemy. Let me dwell in your tent forever. Let me take refuge under the shelter of your wings. Selah. Tent. Dwelling. That's where His presence is. This is David and he's understanding that he wants to be in that place where God is and where His presence is. Where there's protection. He takes refuge under His wings. A metaphor for chicks being protected by their mother. And uh, Close to our house, there's two wild turkeys that have been walking along in the in the ditches over the last week as I've been friends. It's so cool. And they're just kind of waddling along and they've got these all these little chicks surrounding them. And whenever a car comes by, all the little chicks run over to mom. And they're just walking and hanging out there. Well, why? Because it's instinctive to them that they have protection when they're underneath or close to their mother. And that's exactly... What David was saying here in that word selah, it means to just intentionally stop and pause here. And we want to do that because the thing about God's strength is sometimes we so quickly read over this and we take things for granted, but God is the one who is strong. Not you and I. He's the one that can protect us. I came across this story this week, and if you, this is kind of out there in terms of it's not, it is a true story. It's not a lie. But back in April of 2012, a man was drowned after being attacked by a swan. Okay? I'll just tell you a part of the story here. So this was uh, a man. He's 37 years old. His name is Anthony Hensley. He was knocked out of his kayak and then the swan stopped him from swimming to shore, which eventually caused him to drown. Now get this, this guy worked for a company and the company's job was to care for swans, okay? So every day this guy goes to these swans and he feeds them, he protects them, he takes care of them. He's well known to the swans and the swans are well known to him, okay? So this one particular morning, Saturday morning, he gets up and he goes about his regular routine. He's just like he's going to work, he's in this park. The swans are on the island. He's got to get in a kayak and he kayaks across and partway across this swan attacks him. Knocks him out of his kayak and then continues to attack and attack and attack until he drowns. The swan is a picture of who our God is to anything that comes our way. That's exactly what David is saying here. I'm going to be in the sh- under the shelter of of His wings. The shelter and protection of that swan protecting the nest. And that's all that they can figure happened in this situation. The coroner's report said, yeah, he drowned. And and as onlookers watched, all they could see was the nest on the island and this swan going crazy over this man. That's God. That's a picture of God and what He does for you and I when it comes to our enemies. When it comes to anything that's on your plate right now. When we stay in that place under the shelter of His wings. Isn't that a cool thing? Isn't that that awesome? But do we seek that kind of protection? Because it's so so available to us. It's, It's right there in Jesus. It's right there in God. And as He says, 
You have been my refuge, a strong tower against the enemy. Let me dwell in your tent forever and let me take refuge under the shelter of your wings. Let's pause and do this. Because so often we don't. So often I don't. And we need to. We need to be in that place where we're seeking God's protection in the moment of our discouragement. And asking the question, God, where are you in this? Because God is in it. Okay? God hasn't checked out. He hasn't signed the paper and left the building. No. He is still in the midst of whatever you're going through when you're discouraged. Here's the third thing. So we're, we're going to cling to Jesus. We're going to seek God's protection. And we're going to remember our possession, position. You know, this is something that's happening inside of us and inside of David. And you know what? He hasn't even talked about the thing that he's discouraged about yet. We're going to get there. But he remembers his position. Verse 5, For you, O God, have heard my vows. You have given me the heritage of those who fear your name. Also in verse 3, he says in the past tense, you have been my refuge. God's been there. In the past, that word vow means commitment. You, O God, have heard my commitment that I've made to you. This is not a new thing. This is not a brand new relationship where David doesn't know what's going on. No, he understands that God has been there in the past. You have given me the heritage of your name. In the past, has God heard your vows? Your commitments that He has made? Yes, He has. There's not a question that God has not heard. It tells us two things. Number one, it tells us that you've committed something to God in the past. And all of us here have. We've all committed something to God. But it also tells us something here that God has heard your commitment. Isn't that free access? Yes, it is. Do I fear God? Yes, I do. I I fear God because I pray. And that's exactly what David was saying. Look, I'm coming to you in the midst of my discouragement, in the midst of my mess, whatever it is, I fear you and I'm coming to you because you've given me your name. I'm in your family. That's position. That's this sense of I'm in there. I'm not on the out. Now, does your prayer when you're discouraged actually sound like that? Would you be so bold as to tell God what He needs to do? You know, sometimes we're so busy asking that we're not telling God sometimes. What does a prayer sound like if we don't remember our position that we have with God? It just kind of sounds wimpy. Well, God, if you'd like to, you know, I'd really like if you could do this for me. I know you're kind of busy, but could you do this, look after this? God, if you have time, you know, I would really think that uh, it should be done. I know you're busy. Do our prayers sound like that? That doesn't sound like a prayer that's sure of our identity. You know what it feels like to walk to the checkout and you're purchasing something? And they ring the tab in and they do the GST and all of a sudden you realize, uh-oh, I don't know if I have got enough on my account to pay for this. Ever had that situation? Or maybe there's a number of things that have gone out of your account and you know they're going out, but maybe they haven't gone out yet. And you stick the debit card in and you're just, uh, I don't know. But then there's the other 
side of the coin when you've got like this huge transaction and you go to the checkout and it's like maybe $500, $750 and you walk in and you stick your card in because you know you got enough money in the bank. You know the difference? Come on. Yeah, we know the difference. That's the difference when we pray. See, when we remember our position in Christ, we're coming with the bank account full. We know that there's enough to withdraw out of this relationship to say, God, I'm discouraged right now. I'm coming to You. I'm asking You to do something about this situation because I know that we're in relationship. I know that I've made a commitment to You. I know that You've heard my request. I know that You're going to come through on this. That's a totally different kind of posture to pray in, isn't it? And it's hard to get there when we're discouraged. But this is the process that David goes through as he clings to Jesus as he says, you know what, God, i, I got to come to something that's bigger than me, this rock that is higher than I, but I'm not going to forget the commitments that I've made and how you've heard me in the past. And then finally, what does he do? He declares his need. He waits all the way through down to verse 6 before he actually says what he's discouraged about. He's doing all of this preamble that we think, oh well, it's just another verse. No, there's a process that's going on because he's moving from being in this place where he's faint of heart to this place where he's recounting what God has done, who God is, and what God can do as this mighty swan that could kill the enemy if it chose to. And then he says in verse 6, prolong the life of the king. May his years endure to all generations. How many people here have ever had the death threat against them? And the reality, oh yes, those that work at the correctional institution. Yeah. The reality of that happening is huge. For someone that that threat has been made by another person who is quite capable of making it play out. And here he is, prolonged the life of the king. He's talking about himself. May his years endure to all generations and may he be enthroned forever before God. And of course, he's shadowing and foreshadowing Christ. But he says in verse 7, may he be enthroned forever before God appoint steadfast love and faithfulness to watch over him. He's asking the love of God and the faithfulness of God to protect him. Now, I don't know what your circumstance is today. But I'm not seeing anybody come in the door with any machine guns or guns. Just to put it in perspective to David's life. And what did he do? He's crying out to God. He's seeking God's protection. He's remembering all of the things that God has done in the past. And then he's saying, here it is, God. Here's the thing that I'm discouraged about. Would you watch over me? Would you protect me? Would you prolong my days? And then I love, I love the way that he ends this off. He says, I've lost my spot now. Too excited. Verse 8, So I will ever sing praises to your name as I perform my vows day after day. There's such a movement in this whole 
psalm where he moves from being faint of heart and crying to declaring who God is, to declaring His need, and then to make the statement, I will ever sing praises to Your name as I perform my vows day after day. What is he saying? He's saying that I'm going to worship as I continue, even though the situation may not have changed. He's performing a commitment. His commitment that God is going to be with him. Oswell Chambers said this, when a man is at his wit's end, it's not a cowardly thing to pray. It is the only way he can get in touch with reality. (laughs) That's so true. The only thing that we can do when we're at our wit's end is to pray. helps us get in touch with reality. And that's exactly what he did. And then he began to worship as he continued to perform the thing that God has done. And sometimes the worship in the midst of our discouragement is the hardest thing to do. Amen? There's all kinds of distractions that come along and say, oh, you shouldn't be doing that. There's maybe a voice in the back of your head. Oh, well, you don't want to do that. But let me tell you, the best thing that you can do when you're discouraged is throw on a tape. You can throw on Life 103. You can listen to worship music. But when you start to actually stand up and sing and bless the Lord, when you're discouraged, it changes you. In Isaiah 63, where the prophecy, prophet Isaiah is speaking about Jesus in prophecy and the role that Jesus plays says this in verse 3. It says, To grant those who mourn in Zion, to give them a garland instead of ashes, and the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the mantle of praise instead of a faint spirit. That's what God does. We have to put on this mantle of praise for the spirit of heaviness. And we used to sing this song, put on the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. Lift up your voice and praise. Discouragement is meant to hinder us. It's exactly what's happening. So that we don't finish the course. Whether it be our plans, our hopes, our dreams, whatever it is, whatever God is doing in our life, whatever He's moving on us to do. And if we're stopped, our enemy, our fear, our frustration, our situation, our fatigue, whatever it is, whatever all of that stuff is that's making us discouraged, wins. And that's not the game that God's playing with His people, with His family. And all of this starts when we recognize that we're discouraged and we actually sit down and we start to pray and talk to God about it. And thats it's not some gimmick that we're talking about here. It's our destiny because we're part of God's family. So discouragement is normal. It's not a sin. Staying in discouragement is though. So we need to shake off the discouragement, come to God in prayer, put the things before Him, remember who He is and what His plans are for us and bring our requests to Him. And we may or may not see circumstances change. But then as we move forward, we're going to continue to perform the things that God has called us to do as we worship, as we praise His name. So here's the challenge for this week. If you're in a discouraging situation, I want you to take this passage, digest it, go over this, and pray about the thing that you're discouraged by. Now, some of us come here this morning and we're not discouraged. We're doing great. God seems to be all over everything that we're doing and we're excited and woohoo! 
If that's you, I want you to find somebody that's discouraged to pray for. Because just them knowing that somebody else is praying this kind of prayer for the discouraged, the fainted heart, is a huge encouragement. And we want to be an encouragement to one another. We want people to know that uh, the person sitting over there is praying for the person sitting over here and the person over here is praying for the person over here. I was so encouraged last week after the service. There was all kinds of little groups of people all around the place in the gym praying for everybody. It was cool. It was cool to watch that. When we were away, we went to a church out on the East Coast. We missed you. Because there was not that kind of family, community stuff going on in this church. And you know what? It makes a huge difference when the family of God is caring for the family of God that's there. And part of how we do that is pray for each other. So I'm just going to encourage you as we continue through this series to pray for one another. Pray for the discouraged. Pray for the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And uh, God's going to continue to do great things. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we uh, come to You today, some of us with heavy hearts, about some situations in our life that have just brought us to this place of faintness where we're discouraged and we feel overwhelmed. God, we lift Your name up. You are the God who rules over all things. You sent Your Son Jesus into the world to give Your people, those who believe in His name, victory over sin and over death and a right into eternal life. Lord, that's Your family. And Lord, we are those people who call You by name, that call You your, that we are Your family. Lord, I pray that whatever burden anyone is facing today, that You would lift it off of them, Lord. That You would take the things that are around them, that are bringing them down, that are discouraging them, and that You would put them in perspective. That You would answer their prayers. And Lord, for all of us, that we would worship as we continue to make our commitments and fulfill our pledges to You, God, to follow You day after day and to glorify Your name. And Lord, if we're here this morning and we are not discouraged, things seem to be going great, I pray, Lord, that You would put it on our heart to find somebody to pray for. Whether it be here at church, whether it be a neighbor, whether it be somebody we just meet on the street. So that we would have a reputation, as David did. That we would pray for those who are discouraged. And that the God who rules the heavens would lift them up and change. And give them hope in the midst of difficult circumstances. So God, we thank You this morning that You are this great God. And we will give You the praise both now and forever. Amen.